This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, Cherries fans, and welcome to this latest edition of Cherry Picking. Uh, it's episode number 32, and with me today, as normal, we have got Matt. How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, all good, Craig. How are you? Yeah, all good, all good. Excellent. It's Excellent. very, very warm at the moment in here. Um, I won't reveal what's happening um, in the next couple of weeks, but um, yeah. I think I'll be a little bit warmer next week. But it's also good to see Manny. How are you doing, Manny? Yeah, all good, thank you. All good. And uh, just um, a little um, tip. I know it does rain quite a lot these days. And, of course, summer in the UK is infamous for its showers of rain. So getting caught in the rain shower is no joke. Make sure you have a good brolly. Get some good shelter. And once you do get home, treat yourself to a nice hot bath and a hot meal. You will thank yourself for it later on. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. <laughs> of course, in my case, my hot meal was a, a McDonald's takeaway, which ended up being a little bit slightly cool after I got home. But uh, can't complain, can I? Especially when it's not too far from where I live. No, fair <laughs> enough. <mate>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this underway. And we have got, firstly, a piece from Alan Connell. Here we go. Jade Anthony, the role model. So let's go through this. So development squad manager Alan Connell has urged his team of young players to look up to first team star Jaden Anthony. Over 90 appearances for the Cherries first team after being let go by Arsenal, joined AFC Bournemouth's youth setup to progress through the ranks and become a first team regular. Teaming up with the Cherries after a trial in 2016, earning a two-year apprenticeship, Anthony is the perfect role model, according to Connell himself, a former Cherry star. And this is what Alan Connell has told the official website. So everybody is really excited and to be involved in this historic first fixture is a real privilege for the players and every member of staff who will represent the club. We have put in a lot of hard work over the past seven weeks and we want to start the season in a really positive fashion we know that the league is going to be competitive 
and very difficult. And ultimately, our levels are going to have to rise. I think we overachieved for a number of years, but the expectation now that we are category two is going to increase and the players and staff are going to have to deliver. As a club, we are now we are getting bigger and bigger and our recruitment is worldwide now. If our players are going to have a chance to break into the first team, they will need to be of a high level. Um, Jane Anthony is a prime example of what can be achieved. He has worked his way through and is now playing in the Premier League. He has proved that if you're good enough, then the opportunity will be there. As an individual, he took his chance and is someone our players can aspire to follow. And then Connell said on his current crop of players, part of the development of football is giving players a taste of what they're hoping to achieve, but also about trying to keep them grounded. In recent years, we have played some at some excellent training grounds, especially when we have travelled to Category 1 academies in friendlies. But we've also played on some challenging surfaces, so the players have, have had a varied and grounded development. These players are now professional footballers and have earned the right to play on stages like this. And I'm really excited to see them perform. Lots of challenges lie ahead in this league. And now our academy status has improved. But everyone is really excited with what the future holds. And we've got to say congratulations to Alan Connell's squad and Michael De Costa Gonzalez for scoring the historic goal in the development's first um, game in the Professional Development League, which they beat Coventry City at the Coventry Building Society Arena, winning 2-0. Do you know what? This is such an achievement for the club as a whole. And... To let's be fair, um, let's take it back a little bit. We was always in Southampton's kind of shadow, weren't we? Because Southampton had such a good academy. Um, they had a Category One academy churning out the very best of players. Um, they had a state-of-the-art training ground. You know, everything was, you know, well, what we wanted but could never afford. Now we've made steps, you know, firstly, category two, you know, is a fantastic step in the right direction, but no doubt it's a step towards where Alan Connell and the team want it to be. We know where that's going to be category one, because that will attract the very, very best young stars. We've already got a very good scouting network so far. What do you guys think of this? Um, I think this is, is well, obviously it, it's good to have a player in the first team that, you know, the development squad managers using as an example, um, obviously for the players to look up to, because in fairness, you know, Jaden Anthony has been fantastic really, hasn't he, since he broke into the first team, you know, yeah. a few years back, um, and he's committed to the club. Um, you know, so for, for Alan Connell to to single him out as a, as a um, as a like a kind of role model figure, um, obviously shows you know the the player's attitude as well to to being a professional footballer. Um, in terms of the um, academy side of things, um, I think that 
is the new ownership or you know bill foley and, and his team's um vision isn't it is for the club to generate its own players yeah. um you know whether to break into the first team or whether to sell on to lower league clubs and you know produce players you know they want to produce their own players so obviously in terms of being in this new development uh league um mm-hmm. is is a massive step forward um I mean, it might be a good idea to point out now quickly that, you know, if you want to learn about, um, you know, academy um, football and and how clubs transition from one grade to another, then check out the uh, Joe Roach interview that's on on the channel because um, Joe goes into some in-depth detail on the academy setup and and how it works. Um, But I I think this is, you know, a real good... um, uh, a real good talking point because you know it's it's i think it's really really good that the current crop of development squad have Mm. got somebody that they can look up to within the club who is you know he's not a senior player he's still a young player himself um and and obviously can use him as a role model so i think i think it's i think it's brilliant to be honest and of course manny um arsenal are a category one club um and you know do give us a bit of background on what that will sort of bring um i mean here's the thing about anthony obviously you know he tried his hardest to make the grade at arsenal Mm. and of course he had he ended up having to leave and then joined Bournemouth because he wanted to continue to you know hone his talent so fair play to the boy he obviously um, worked his backside off at Bournemouth and has now been rewarded. Um, the problem I have with um, this sort of a rhetoric saying, if Jaden Anthony can do it, why can't you? Is that we're basically a club, and I'm really glad you brought this up, um, Craig, and I'm, I'm glad you wanted to get my um, opinion on this, is that over the years, especially under Arsene Wenger, we've tried to integrate several youth pro- um, prospects into the first team. And we weren't quite able to do so. Ashley Cole was probably um, one of the um, best examples of someone who came in from the Hale End and who was able to play consistently well. Of course, um, I'm not going to discuss the 2006 um, controversy, that whole kerfluffle, which he detailed well in his autobiography. And a lot of people have a lot of things to say about that. But he was one of those players, obviously, who was um, seen as someone who really could make the grade and was given his chance. And yet for every Jaden Anthony, there's going to be other there are going to be other players in the Bournemouth team who just um, will try as hard as they can, but just can't quite get it because there's going to be so much in terms of competition. And it's very easy to say that um, these boys really should take it as a challenge to try to improve themselves. But again, selection is selective, if you pardon the pun. Yeah. And sometimes if a manager just, just doesn't really um, you know, think that you can really hack it or just doesn't see enough in you, then no matter what you do, you're yeah. going gonna to struggle and you might end up deciding that your future lies elsewhere. Now, of late, we've tried to um, bring in the likes of um, Eddie Nketiah, uh, Emile Smith-Rowe, and um, say a few others. But um, Bukaya Saka obviously um, came through the Hale-End system and has now earned um, close to about 50 caps for England. I don't know how many caps he has, but he should be close to 50, I think. And obviously, he is one of the first names on both Southgate's and Arteta's team sheet. The only issue I have is that he needs to be managed 
because we can't afford to get him injured. And as I say this, he played in the behind closed doors friendly against Luton Town. 3-0 win, uh, debut for David Raya. And uh, anyway, we, we, just, we just never learn. I mean, we've already lost Yuri and Timber. What's another injury, huh? But um, go, without digressing, for every Ashley Cole and for every Bukayo Saka, they're going to be other um, academy players who just won't be able to get it. And so selection can sometimes be a little bit about luck more than anything else. I'm not saying that Jaden Ansley didn't deserve to get his chance with the Bournemouth first team. Obviously, as I said, the boy worked his rear end off and he deserved the opportunities he could get. But there, but I'm sure both of you will know that there have been other players in that system who've also worked really hard, who've shown some talent, and yet through the luck of the draw, they weren't able to get selected. And um, I can cite several examples, but perhaps the best example would be that of a certain World Cup winner who was with Arsenal for several years, who developed um, basically on the end system after coming from Argentina. And um, of course, he was playing in Argentina with Independiente, but then he came to us and also had a youth stint with us. Um, Many Arsenal fans, I know, many of these so-called top gooners will say, well, you know, it's good riddance, really, because um, for a guy who was with us for a long time, he didn't get too many chances because he wasn't good enough. But that's simply not the case, because we had several other goalkeepers ahead of him in the pecking order. And um, Chesney was a youngster who was also favoured greatly by Arsene Wenger. And he also did like his goalkeepers to be quite experienced and a little bit longer in the tooth. Mm-hmm. So this person in question, whom both of you will know, and bo- uh, you know that I rate him highly, never got enough opportunities. And people talk about one game he had against um, Reading, uh, your grandfather's lot, Craig, um, who, um, <laughs> of course, yeah, we beat them 7-5. He mm. conceded five goals that day, and I think he made, made one or two mistakes. But people forget that he also played two premiership games and two Champions League games for us, where he did very well and had a record of played four, one, I think won three and drew one. So that wasn't too bad at all. Emery was willing to give him, give him more of a chance to play in the uh, cup competitions, but Arteta didn't really consider him that much and only gave, gave him his chance when Bernd Leno got injured. And of course, he took his chance magnificently and went on to win an FA Cup with us. But then he decided he was sick and tired of, um, you know, not being given opportunities and being made to feel as though no matter how well he did, he just wouldn't be um, trusted to um, play in the first team. So he decided to walk away. So... It is great that Anthony is being celebrated, and yes, we should, um, you know, compliment him. But again, it's just another reminder that sometimes if um, the coaches don't really, you know, fancy you for some reason, no matter how hard you work, you just might not get it. And um, all I can say to the boys in question is, don't try to be the next Jaden Anthony. You've got to try to, you know, be yourselves first and foremost. Obviously, Anthony's earned his success, deserves it, as do... Bukayo Saka, as did Ashley Cole. But, you know, players have got to learn to try and be themselves and be the best version of themselves and trust that if, um, you know, they are noticed and they do have a good um, day and their development is consistent, they'll get their chance. And if they don't, well, they're welcome to try um, try their luck elsewhere, as Anthony did. So all I can say is good luck to the, um, to, to the youth prospects that you've got. I hope, um, I mean... Instead of, you know, trying to compare themselves to Anthony, they should, you know, try to, you know, look look inside themselves and see where they can possibly imp- improve. And one thing I can say about football is that if you are committed to working hard enough, then more often than not, you will get your chances to impress and at least be seen and heard. 
And from there on, what happens is just um, the roll of the dice, the luck of the draw. And you can pick many more cliches after that. Well, the movement to the Category 2 Academy, you know, is quite a step up. Of course, Category 1 is where they probably want to go next. And that is normally reviewed on around about a two-year basis. Now, those academies, Category 1 Academies, have a high contact time with the young players um, and require a minimum of 18 full-time staff and an operational budget of 2.5 million. Um, so, and like I say, it's reviewed every two years. Um, of course, you can lose yeah. your Category 1 status as well. Um, however, it might be determined that it's wrong. Um, and I think a number of clubs actually did that during this summer and got reinstated as Category 1 Academy. So that's going to be definitely the next step, I can imagine, when Camford Magna is open, is to get this new training ground to be the perfect place for young players to firstly be educated on the game, to learn it, to have staff around, you know, who are on a consistent basis. Um, there's going to be, of course, more recruitment in top coaches that need to do that as well. Um, not saying that what we've had already, you know, is bad. They've done a phenomenal job to actually firstly get it to this level and secondly, bring through the players that they have. But I guess there is that pull that... You know, if, say, for example, at this moment in time, a Bournemouth player, you know, and who is incredibly talented is then, because academies look at each other's players as well, is looked at by Manchester City's. Now, let's be honest, Manchester City have got money to shell out all the time. Believe it or not, Newcastle aren't Category 1. But what they're going to do is they can poach that player. There is of course, um, fees to be included on that. I believe, um, wasn't it Manchester City, they bought um, a young uh, goalkeeper, I think he was a goalkeeper, from AFC Wimbledon, and, you know, poached him from Wimbledon's, effectively, academy youth team setup. So there is that danger, whereas a Category 1 academy, I believe there's a lot more demands, you know, that... And it would be a lot more difficult for, say, for example, Manchester City to poach a player from, let's say, Everton's academy, you know, without a big fee. So yeah. there is that. There is that. Um, because you want to play under the best coaches for, you know, the biggest clubs. And, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, that's where they're going to go next. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's already been spoken about. The ambition here is, you know, going up and up and up. And, you know, the sooner that happens, the better. Um, and, of course, you know, it means we're level on par with Southampton um, with regards to academy status. And let's be fair, they were a real hotbed of talent years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just touching on the um, the gradings, what you were saying there. Yeah. Um Joe Roach actually explained how that all works in, in the interview that we did with him. Um, yeah. He was actually part of the um, governing body or committee, whatever you want to call it, that actually put that stuff together. 
So um, what we do is is we, we pop the link to that video in in the in the description, description below. below. Uh, yeah. If you have um, got a bit of interest in the academies, then um, definitely go to that, and you'll learn a lot about how the uh, system actually works, the grading system, and and things like that. So yeah, we pop that in the description, and um, yeah, have a look at it if you're interested. Definitely a good interview. Yeah, it was a phenomenal interview, Matt. And I tell you what, it was so insightful, you know, that somebody who's been with the club for so many years and managed to get it to a level that it is now, mm. you know, bringing through the youth players. Um, it's but there was... fascinating because like, you're talking about the size of the academies there and how they've mm. you know, grown and what they require. I mean, when he started, um, the stadium was in the process of being pulled down. Um, he had five job roles and he was working out of a hut in the car park. Yeah. Um, and now I think he was saying they've got something like over 26 academy staff or something like that there now. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the club in terms of the academy youth structure has come a long, long way. And um like I say, he explains everything in that interview, so it is quite fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Go and watch that after this episode of Cherry Picking. So, let's go on to the next point, and this is an interesting one. Jim Frivola speaks about Jane Millette's role at Dean Court. Um, of course, Jim Frivola. He's somebody who I think he's excellent. I think he's brilliant. I think he comes under a lot of flack from some members of our support who just think, well, because he represents the club, um, you know, he, you know, there is going to be times with like, for example, increases in costs and things like that, where people aren't happy with that. But um, have we ever really had somebody communicating on a regular basis, like a daily basis with the fans to make sure the fans are aware of what they're trying to do here. I don't think we have. Maxim no. was a very, very quiet um, boss, you know, yeah, a he, very he, good one. Yeah. He obviously had Jeff there to do the day-to-day, -day, you know, Jeff and Neil Blake, didn't he? Um, yes. So he could be kind of um, in, in the background, whereas obviously... You know, Bill Foley's quite out there, but obviously yeah. when he's not about, um, Jim's the voice, isn't he, really, of, of the American side of things. So, um, but you're spot on. Um, his communication, I think he does it mainly on Twitter, doesn't he? He does do it mainly on Twitter, yes. Um, so I don't see a lot of it, but the, the bits I do hear, um, you know, it's great that, you know, there's communication out there, whether it's good good communication or bad, you know, whether we want to hear it or not, or whether we agree with it or not. It, it's it's nice to have someone direct from the football club communicate so openly with the fan base. I think sometimes it, the only, only thing I could say is sometimes the platform. But then again, how what platform do we go on to to actually be able to communicate with as many fans? Um, because, of course, Twitter is a hotbed of, um, well, horrible comments half the time. So, um, yeah, to be fair, I can understand why he chooses that platform, but, yeah, 
hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll be communicating on Facebook or something at some point. But then again, that might not be necessarily much better. Let's have a look. So, Jim, try threads. Try threads. I mean, obviously, the club should have an Instagram account, so threads shouldn't be too far away. Yeah, I have actually um, signed the channel up to Threads, actually, Manny. But um, to be honest, <laughs> I haven't really utilised it as much. Um, that might be something that I need to start getting into. But Mate, it's just like Twitter. I mean, I use it as often as I possibly can. And it is, um, you know, it's, it's like Twitter, except without the, um, you know, nastiness. And if anyone is... Um, you know, trying to be nasty, they immediately read the riot act and said, "You know, season desist." And often enough, you that is, you do not ever say that again. And there are no yeah. complaints. So, yeah, oh, sounds like a fantastic um, bit of kit. That considering, you know, the way Twitter is, but hey ho, sounds a lot lot better, isn't it? Because yeah. let's be fair, yeah. Elon Musk has. Um, made it even worse than it already was. So um, we could go on about that all night, couldn't we, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> want to beat that dead horse. I mean, we can all agree that what's happening is utterly ridiculous. Did you oh, know dear. that because of his antics, they've got Twitter banned in Indonesia now? Have they? I, I'm not oh, surprised. Yes. I'm not surprised, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's more countries that ban it. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. So this is what Jim Favola has said about Jay Millette, who's joined the Cherries as Director of Performance last month to oversee all player medical and performance management services. Um, he's already improved the club dramatically. Favola goes on to say, I know Jay really well. Jay is great. He is more football side, which I generally don't speak to. But because I know him really well, Jay, from a medical perspective, is a huge win for us. And he carried on to say, I think it elevates us to the top of the Premier League. We have now literally one of the best people running our performance side of the medical piece of the business. What he did with the Golden Knights was one of the best in the league. He's got football experience. He's got high entertainer experience. I think we just basically improved our club dramatically with Jay. Frivolous was speaking to the Daily Echo. Now, I did a little bit of research into Jay Millette. Um, and he has got a very, very extensive history um, with working with elite sports teams. So, of course, he has mentioned there about the Vegas Golden Knights. But it's not just that. Um, I actually did a whole video when I did talk about Jay Millette and, you know, what he's actually done um, in the past. I believe he was in the US Army, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's um, So, I tell you what, he's, he sounds like a really, really good person to have around. He's improving the fitness of the players. Um, he's improving the whole setup. Um, I think yeah, I'm very, very impressed with this piece of business. Um, and do do go and watch um, that video as well, because I do go into it in a little bit more detail. Um, it's with regard, it's on the video with Alex Scott, of course. Uh, no, sorry, Milos Kerkes, wasn't it? It's Milos Kerkes um, and Fresneda. Um, of course, one happened, um, one hasn't. 
Um, so as yet, anyway, uh, I don't think it's going to happen now. But yeah, I think that is, you know, impressive. And how important is it to have somebody who is so knowledgeable about the fitness to improve, you know, the day-to-day running in the background? How much pressure will that take off Iriola? A lot. Because um, let me tell you right now, I'm really sorry to have to drop the fact that I'm an Arsenal fan, but we have had problems over the years with um, players with spotless fitness records coming to Arsenal only to end up being crocked and on the uh, treatment table faster than you can say um, uh, Carl Fletcher. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I had to do that. Uh, Homage to the channel. I love you boys so much that I had to put that in. Uh, I I never meant to be derogatory. I do apologise for that, but that's just me. And, um, yeah, so being on the fitness side of um, things and being, you know, on the pulse of it is exceptionally important. You've hit the nail on the head there, Craig. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, Maletta will be one of those people who will look uh, into um, the training techniques, the training regimen, what exactly the boys are doing with regard to um, their, um, you know, their practices and how best um, injuries can be avoided. And we had someone like that. I'm absolutely, you know, angry that given our own American connections through the crankies, as I call them, we never seem to take that initiative. We've already lost our new signing, Yuri and Timber, to an ACL injury, and he could be out for almost the whole season. And so never mind the fact that we are so badly run financially, we can't even seem to make a profit on our transfer business. But again, the injury issues is, is, is some, is issue is something that really, really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So back to you, and of course, back to you now. Getting someone to um, take care of the fitness aspect of things is um, not just a masterstroke. It is something that needed to be done. It ha- needs to be done. It has to be done. And I'm really glad that you've made that um, acquisition, especially someone, obviously, given his um, stint with the Golden Knights, he'll know Bill Foley yeah. exceptionally well. I don't know necessarily if they've had any contact, so to speak, but... Um, you know, that always is, is always going to be quite helpful. And if you can maintain um, the fitness of the players and make sure that they, um, you know, stay um, away from the injury ta- table, the treatment table, and uh, continue to perform well, then all the better for you. So, um, yeah, it's another wonderful acquisition. And I'm not even going to be – I mean, a lot of people might say that, you know, if you're hiring some uh, people like this, you're sort of trying to Americanize the club. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing at all wrong with bringing people – um, from an external perspective, um, external environment, who can have a new perspective on how to do things, and especially if fitness is an issue that plagues several Premiership teams, you know, some foreign expertise is always going to be a good thing. It's as simple as that. So I say, well done for making this happen, and I hope that um, you know, with this acquisition, you're going to see uh, an excellent fitness record for most of your players you're not going to see many of them you know drop down with um, too many injuries so well done for this um it had to happen and i'm glad you made it happen and i'm just having a little look as well at the other things he's done so of course the first six seasons with the golden knights franchise he built and led the medical and performance department um and before that 
He had a key leadership role with the Cirque du Soleil um, as director of performance medicine for 13 years. Um, So, of course, um, there's, well, athlete, they had 13,000, sorry, 1,300 athletes um, and 45 full time staff whilst at the Cirque. Um, I don't know if I'm saying, am I saying that right? It's Cirque du Soleil, and if you had looked at my face, you would have seen my mouth half open. How you got him? Oh, Christ alive, that is brilliant. (laughs) But of course, um, (laughs) there's a, they have to be on the top of their game and, you know, on the top of their performance all the time. Um, So that he's actually got involved and this director of performance medicine on there fantastic of course he was at the colorado colorado rapids i'll put my teeth back in a minute um in major league soccer um Uh, yes that's that's where the football thing comes in Yeah. yeah and then before that with the u.s air force as well so yeah i'll tell you what you know what what an impressive piece of business to get somebody like that you know, again, it's all about, like we were saying from what Alan Connell was saying, it's all about enhancing this football club. Yeah, Sherry's flying high. I love it. <laughs> yep, most definitely. Let's have a look at the next piece then. So here we go. So, of course, we wanted to have a quick Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Touch on how Iriola did on his first Premier League test. Let's have a little look then. Um, Asked about his feelings um, before the West Ham test, Iriola said, I slept okay. I normally sleep very well. When I wake up, the nerves start. You need to have this as a player or a coach. I think there has to be something moving inside because it's the way it has to be. But we are really looking forward to the next one. The first thing is to play. There is no other thing than to play. And But after playing, I think being a coach is also really exciting. He added, I was nervous because it was my Premier League ga- first Premier League game. For me, it was a special day. I wanted to play well. I wanted to win. We finished with a point. I came after a coach has been successful here who made a very good season. The goal was there after a promotion and taking the team after some weeks. 
obviously it was very good from Gary in the past season here. We start now a new season with also the willingness of finishing successfully. That is what Irio said. Um, asked if against West Ham, the team showed good signs of what he hopes to see from them going forwards. Iriola said, I think there are certain things the team already has inside that they are doing very well, but other things we need to improve. We are not pressing so intense. I thought the pressing was quite good in the second half, but you know, he wants more. Um, Hi, (laughs) (laughs) because we knew that they were going to play very direct so we needed bodies there for second balls and take the second balls in the middle but with the ball I think it was our our problem in the first half we were quite slow to move the ball fair point to be fair yeah yeah it is very difficult to find spaces inside or even outside against a Premier League team like West Ham who are really solid with this ball speed so Iriolo wants more. Um, and this is what it looks like the first game of the season. One all draw. And so something jumps straight out to me. Is that possession. Um, of course, just below there, you have the BBC um, stats uh, that they put on the screen. Gary O'Neill, 41% possession. Iriola, 63%. So, of course, they've done this on average over the season. Um, but I think that's impressive. The passes, you know, of course, we have to see, you know, how how it goes over a season. But, you know, that figure might come down. That's 63%. I can't imagine it will go up much from that. But you never know. But I think, you know, it's really shown the intent. Five shots on target, more than West Ham. Ten corners. Remember, this was a side that beat us 4-0 last season. And, you know, regardless of having Rice or not having Rice, you know, I still think, you know, we have improved as a squad based on those figures, don't you guys think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... I know, I mean, the comparison there, the match-a-day comparison... um, but when you look at that, already you can see where the improvements are. And just by watching the game, I mean, if you watch the last four games of last season and then yeah. you watch the West Ham game of the, the first of this season, I mean, OK, the first sort of maybe 10, 15 minutes of the first half, I would say West Ham were well in it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, kind of after that, you know, and maybe the early stages of the second half, but the majority of the game, I, I would say we, we we controlled in in most aspects. Um, I would say obviously it's only the first game, um, but I I think we're going to see stats slightly improve throughout the season. Um, mm-hmm. Be interesting to see ten games in where the stats are. Um, like where the possession, whether it's dropped much lower. I think one of the sides he managed had an average of 60, 60 odd percent possession, didn't he? It, one of the side was it the side he was at last year? Uh, yeah, Rayo Vallecano. Um, I think it was a high percentage when you think, you know, what small side they are in Spain. 
yeah, I mean, it, he seems to develop sides to keep the ball, and you know, his style of play, you know, dictates that they keep the ball. And um, I mean, I know possession doesn't win you games. Um, we all yeah. know that. You know, um, I mean, there was games last season, like Wolverhampton, for example, where we had, well, I can't remember what it was, like 38% possession, something like that. And we won it 1-0 with a smash and grab. So possession doesn't always mean anything. Um, but it is good signs when you look at, you know, 14 shots. OK, only five of which are on target. I'm sure that's an area that he will want the side to improve on. But I mean... Some some games last year we'd be lucky to have five shots at all. Yeah. So you know there, there is you know real real sense of improvement there. Um, obviously we've got a very big test uh, this Saturday when we go to Anfield. Um, mm-hmm. So you know he's coming up against a you know well um, oiled machine in Liverpool. Um, they're probably still actually, I say, well-oiled. That's probably not quite the right term to use. But, um, you know, he's coming up against a very, very good manager. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be... I mean, David Moyes is a good manager as well, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, the the, the trophies that Klopp's won and, you know, he, he is a very successful manager. So it'll be interesting to see how we, we come up against him. Um I think with what we've seen so far, um, and obviously with the Liverpool previews and the head-to-head that we've done this week, I think even you know Liverpool fans are expecting a different game to the one they saw at Anfield last season. Um, in terms of of our pressing, and you know, I don't, I can't see us you know sitting deep for too long. There will be times when we have to absorb the pressure off Liverpool, I'm sure, but. You know, I think I think the side are going to go for it when they go up to Liverpool. Um, yeah. A few of the predictions come through like three-one to Liverpool. Um, I predicted two-two because you know what I'm like, Craig. I can't I can't um, predict against them. Um, <laughs> my heart saying two-two, but my head saying something different. Um, so yeah, I mean, this it's pleasing. It's pleasing to see, um, yeah. and and you can see why. You know, slowly but surely, you can see why the club have moved in the direction it has. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's go on to the next slide. Um, so, how do we feel Ariola will compare to the last five Cherries managers? So, of course, there's Gary's figures there. Um, we've spoken about Gary in quite some detail, but you know, personally, 37 games, 11-1, 6 draws, 20 losses. Uh, win ratio of 29.73. I think, you know, Gary did a sterling job, um, of course. In the toughest league in the world, um, with a side that he took over from that man just beside him. Now, he had a good win ratio. But I don't think it says it all because, of course, Scott Parker, 55 games played, 28 wins, 14 draws, 13 losses, 50.9. That's pretty decent, but it was in the championship. Um, we got off to a, a well, fantastic start, 37 points, first 15 games. Um, you know, that is pretty much unheard of. But... 
Um, I think, you know, there's a lot that was quite concerning about Scott Parker um, in that championship season as well. You know, some of the games, like I say, Derby, Reading at home, 1-0 up, should have been 5-0 up, um, changes it and could have ended up losing that game. Um, Peterborough had not beaten them at all. So I know you've got to take win ratios with a pinch of salt, haven't you, really? Yeah, I mean, in some respects you have. Um, I mean, obviously, like you're saying there with, with Scott Parker's, I didn't realise Scott's was so high, to be fair. Um, yeah. I mean, the total at the bottom there, that's his career total. So as a career manager, I mean, even 39% um, is probably about average amongst most managers, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's pretty good. I, yeah. You know, can't, can't knock that. Um, but a lot of those seasons were in the, well... You know, two of the three seasons were in the championship with ourselves and, of course, Fulham. Um, I don't then... think um, his spell at FC Bruges helped much with his... Uh... <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, it's just interesting to see, I mean, like how these last five managers, you know, who we feel that maybe he may compare to. I mean, mm. obviously here we've got, you know, Woodgate... Tindall and, and Eddie Howe, obviously. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at Tindall. I mean, Tindall got sacked, but, I mean, his win percentage ain't that bad, is it? I mean, 41.94. No, I think he was a victim that we we were looking like we were going to struggle to stay in the playoffs, weren't we, at that point? Yeah. In fact, yeah. I think we even dropped out, didn't we, at one point? And, yeah. Um, you know, I think that's personally why the decision was made. You know, Tyndall, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, he's an excellent coach. Is he a manager? I think he works best with the man on the far right. Jonathan Woodgate, you know, actually got us across the line. But then again, yeah. But when you look at his record there, mm. um, you know, if, if he had turned a few more of those uh, losses into maybe draws... It might have been a different story for him, but I mean, fifty-six percent—it's not, 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 no disgrace. But then again, probably like Tyndall, he's probably better as a coach and a and a number two as maybe maybe the front man. Yeah, and then we've got the man on the far right, uh, which, let's be honest, um, is God, um, and you know. 50% win ratio. He was <laughs> spot on 50% in the first spell. Um, he went to Burnley, then he come back. Um, and look at that figure, 40.2. Now, keep in mind, there's promotions in there as well. Um, but, you know, that, that second stint, you think, you know, we just got into the championship. We just got into the Premier League. You know, five seasons in the Premier League included in that as well. Um, well, uh, what else? How many more plaudits do we give Eddie Howe? I tell you what, I could make a whole video on that, couldn't I? I'm sure I you do. probably have somewhere in the archive. But shall I do um, that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's almost like. You know this this whole win percentage thing. I know we can't look much into it, but 
I mean, if he carries on as as he is, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to have a good good percentage. I mean, a lot of his stats are going to be good come the end of the season. Yeah, um, yeah I think so. And you know, hopefully, in terms of the Premier League era, let's hope that he can maybe develop the club, um, develop the the playing side of the club to maybe progress on further than than what unfortunately Eddie didn't have the chance to do, but obviously laid the foundations for. Um, Without Eddie, we wouldn't be here. That's the thing. Well, yeah, well, absolutely. So obviously, but you know, when you look at the, you know, the four managers between um, Eddie and and Iriola, um, you know, I think, I think he's the, the. We have now got a man that that. I mean, even the cups, for example, it's like I was saying on on one of the Liverpool channels this week. Um, you know, it'd be nice to maybe finish, you know, decently in the Premier League without any real threat of relegation, but really kick on in the Cup. It'd be nice yeah. almost to have a Cup run. I think that's where we need to develop. Um, also, in terms of the playing side of the club, um, because we've, we've never really had a good Cup run. Um, I know we got to the quarterfinals a few years back. Yeah. Uh, the FA Cup. Um which is which is just equaling equaling a club record. We've never been beyond the quarterfinals of the the FA Cup, so it'd be nice to you know progress on and kick on further. It maybe in the cups as well, which is something obviously you know Eddie didn't really have the chance to do because you know it was always prioritising that Premier League status every year. It to be fair, it would be the FA Cup that would be my preference. Um, firstly. There's a bit more, you know, money in it. Um, not much more, but, you know. Um, but also, you know, who's to say? And I, I know it's stupid. I think, you know, it's silly to have the semi-finals at Wembley, but that would be a nice day, a nice day out and, you know, really put the club on the map. So, yeah, I'm hoping, you know, I, I'd, I'd be quite pleased with a cup run. But then again, you've got to think, with regards to each position as well, each position does count for so much money. But let's be fair, Swansea did it, didn't they? Swansea won the FA, uh, the Carabao Cup or Carling Cup or whatever it was called. Wigan won the FA Cup. Um, I'm trying to think of other sides that have had, and, you know, and Pompey obviously did it. Pompey, um, yeah, you know, that there has been sides and, and sides that have even got to finals. You know, Stoke got to a final, didn't they, against City that year? Yeah. Palace. Um, um, Palace, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's no... I mean, I know what you're saying, you know, that each place is mm. worth more money, but, you know, there'd be no harm one season, say, finishing 13th and having a good cut, cut run, would there? You know, exactly. so, I mean, to give the fans, you know, a, a real experience as well. But, you know, let's see, let's see how he does. You know, it's very, very early days, but I would say the future is looking bright, but not orange. Not orange, black. <laughs> red and black. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if if a cherry is orange, I think it's fair to say that it might be a little bit sour, unless it might be the speciality of a certain region. And um, yeah, listen, I think um, a cup run shouldn't be beyond you. And obviously, with the manager who's um, taken um, Vallecano to two uh, Spanish Cup semi-finals, I mean, that wouldn't be um, 
you know, um, unthinkable. But um, I would also say try not to um, put too much pressure on yourselves to get a cup, uh, to go on a cup yeah. run. Because yeah. in as much as we can say it, the FA Cup, for example, has been, you know, skewed more and more in favour of the bigger teams, smaller teams can still definitely have their day. And um, in, in I think also to add to the... Um, list of um, underdog teams who had their day let's not forget Millwall in 2004 oh, that was of course the season yes. it was the season when Arsenal um, won the league unbeaten but we lost the semi-finals of the FA Cup to Manchester United and they went on to beat the Millwall team which had Dennis Wise playing in I think what was his fifth FA Cup final <laughs> oh boy that fella's had a career but um there's always, there's always going to be some teams who can still try and have their day if they believe in themselves well enough. So all I can say is I hope you lot have a cup run, but don't try and put too much uh, uh, pressure on yourselves to make that the main aim. And uh, I really would just like to see you lot focus on doing well as well as you can this season under Iriola. And I'd also go so far to say that um, there are going to be some tougher tests for Andoni and his boys. So... Um, We'll probably um, sort of take a look on how uh, uh, and do some comparison maybe after his first 10 games or so, let him go on a run, and then yeah. we can really start to compare him to some of the um, past Cherries managers from days gone by. Yeah, definitely. It'd be nice to win a cup. I've just thought if, if we win the FA Cup, we go on a European tour, don't we? Oh, yeah. You also go on a European tour if you win the Carabao Cup, don't forget. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, of course you do. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's all good, and it? it's all good. Something to look forward to for the uh, future. Let's hope. Yeah. Know. Definitely, definitely. Right. Let's have a look at the next piece, and of course, there is that rumor going round, and Tyler Adams deal appears to stall as Leeds say Bournemouth face legal dispute. Now, I don't think Tyler Adams is going to be particularly too pleased about this um, because he signalled his intention that he wants to leave Leeds because he wants Premier League football. Um, so what's going on with Adams' future? The future of Tyler Adams at Leeds United is uncertain due to, due to the dispute over his release clause with AFC Bournemouth claiming they met the deadline. Leeds' negotiation position may have been strengthened as Adams and Luis Sinistera's release clauses have expired, potentially allowing them to demand a higher price. Bournemouth triggered Adams's. 20 million release clause late last week, but there has been no agreement on personal terms and legal proceedings are now expected. So it's uh, it's an interesting one. This leads have claimed that Bournemouth didn't submit the bid in time, um, and so Adams looks like he's going to have to stay at Leeds um, as the Cherries fail to agree the terms um, as yet. Um, within that clause and of course the player is actually nursing a hamstring injury um, of course Liverpool have expressed an interest in the player as well in the last 24 hours um, so what's happened with this deal, will the guys be dealing with a legal dispute with Leeds United Football Club 
can't stand Leeds, can we? (laughs) Leeds have turned up again. They're not even in the same division now. And um, they're causing havoc. They're still causing havoc, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, a funny one, isn't it? I mean, you know, what kind of legal proceedings can can go on? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean... Well, I was reading a couple of tweets, actually, from a load of Leeds fans, and they are a bit dumbfounded why their club have put in this timed release clause situation anyway. So there's a lot of that. A, a lot of Leeds fans saying, oh, yeah, Bournemouth small club and all that rubbish. But at the same time, there's a lot of Leeds fans wondering what their club is doing with this. And... Mm. It's quite clear Leeds don't want Adams to go. But if that is in the contract, you know, if it's in the contract, and I guess the the question now, I think it needs to be going through with a fine tooth comb by Neil Blake, is is it when you submit the deal? So you say, right, okay, we want Tyler Adams. Here's 20 million, you know, and meet the release clause to speak to the player. Or... Is it a case of it all needs to be done within that time for that to actually be 20 million? That's the big question for me. Um, we've left it late by the sounds of things, but at the same time, it's such a weird one. And plus, so it's, it's, it's timing it's... as well, isn't it? It's, it's, you know, you'd think that that release clause would be up to the transfer window closing, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, I'm 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 confused because I keep reading different reports through different, you know, mm. we all know what the media's like. Um, so is it actually a release clause in his contract, which is the twenty million, but then you have a certain time frame to agree personal terms, if not that expires and you can't sign them for twenty million, is that what it is? Or is it because the actual release clause has expired within his contract? Where is it? I'm reading so many different mixed reports. I believe it is a case that we had to submit, you know, an interest and meet that release clause before we could speak to Tyler Adams. Um, You know, and I think that timed, you know, situation, um, I think that is, you know, when we submit the deal um it, it's such a weird one isn't it you know I, I don't i can't imagine you know if it takes two weeks to get it over the line but then again that might be what the situation is that you need to confirm it by the at that date to actually get the release clause i i honestly don't know and it's really speculating this what do you make of it manny um, I haven't really read too much about it, so I don't really want to, you know, BS you lot. But um, clearly, I think Leeds are trying to, you know, make these claims as a sort of um, Hail Mary um, attempt to try and uh, get this uh, uh, transfer off the table. Clearly, Adams was one of their, you know, most important players last season, albeit um, they ended up going down. And of course, any attempt to try to take the USA national team captain. Um, let, let me just say first of all about Bournemouth. You lot are really, really ambitious, and I and I love it. I absolutely love seeing that. So Leeds are obviously trying to do whatever they can, in my opinion, to try and 
you know, stop the deal from taking place. And they're trying to pull this sort of stuff. And um, if you submitted that bid trying to, um, you know, activate the release clause, I really don't know why they're sort of complaining that you didn't do it in time or trying to look for some technicalities or whatever. It's just, um, it seems to be desperation more than anything else. And whatever happens, I only hope that the uh, right verdict will, um, you know, um, t take place and everything will take its course. And um, if leads are going to um, try and do whatever they can, use these sort of tactics, well, good luck to them. They're going to need all the help they can get. And I think as well, the leads have actually seen, you know, this happen already so far during this window. And with uh, Nonto, will it, will, Wilfred uh, Gonotto, is it Gonotto? Nonto. Nonto. There we are. Um, <laughs> but, you know, of course, he was wanting to go to Everton. Um, Everton have submitted a bid. I believe it was the same sort of situation. Um, Everton got effectively pushed back. Uh, Nonto has then gone, uh, no, I don't want to play for Leeds anymore. And surely it's not a good situation to have these players where, you know, they're desperate to play in the Premier League. You've put a clause in there. And now... You know, when a team meets that clause, you know, it's setting that expectation, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, just another another crazy story within the uh, wonderful world of the transfer market, isn't it? You know, don't get me wrong. If Leeds didn't put this clause into the contracts of their players, then it's entirely up to them to turn around and refuse that. But if this clause is in there and, you know, certainly have a little bit digging around and seeing what, you know, what it is. Um, but I can understand the players getting frustrated because they're thinking, well, okay, that's fine. My release clause has been met, you know, whereas a club like Bournemouth, if that wasn't in there, could turn around and say, right, okay, we want, you know, Tyler Adams, we're going to bid, 20 million and if Leeds rejected that fair enough but it's a bizarre one um, Leeds I think are upsetting all their players aren't they yeah it's you know it's always difficult when clubs do get relegated and you know you've got your ambitious players that want to be playing top division football for their you know international careers obviously like Adams Um you know, it's, it's, it's difficult all round, isn't it, to then try and, you know, it's difficult to keep a squad of players happy anyway, but, um, you know, it's, it always seems to be a bit more trickier after a relegation with, with you know, certain certain players. And obviously they want the move, you know, there's there's only a time frame that they can move in and, you know, it could, it just, you know, relegation is, um, you know, the tier of English football is a wonderful thing. You know, it's it's a, it's an admired structure yeah. all around the world, but you know, relegations do hit hard, and it doesn't probably help that you know if a team, you know, does something stupid like Leeds seem to have done with these contracts. But hey ho, um, they'll have to sort it out, won't they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> there we are. Well. I think pretty much we covered everything. Of course, we have got the game against Liverpool up at Anfield. Um, 
I think it'll be one all. Matt's gone for a two all. What do you reckon, Manny? Uh, what was the question? Sorry, I didn't get that. So, how do you reckon we'll get on against Liverpool? This is going to be very interesting. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Liverpool basically had, um, you know, I wouldn't say a difficult time of it, but they certainly didn't have it easy against Chelsea. And I was predicting, in fact, that Chelsea would um, win. So the fact that they were able to survive that onslaught and go on to, um, you know, get a draw was, um, I would say, a little bit uh, creditable. And yet we're still not certain if uh, that Liverpool team will be a very well-settled team. Mm. Obviously, they've had issues with the uh, midfield. They have, um, of course, um, acquired uh, McAllister and Shabozlai. That was, of course, old news. And it'll be very interesting to see how those new acquisitions end up settling in. Um, if uh, McAllister ends up playing in the different role to the one he played for Argentina at the World Cup, then Klopp will be in trouble. And a lot of people are predicting that among the top six managers um, in the Premier League, Klopp could be the first one to get sacked. I think... Interesting. Again, when it comes to um, Liverpool, they're going to try to do whatever they can to manage um, the uh, t- uh, uh, the game as well as they possibly can against a Bournemouth team that will look to um, be expansive and play open football. So how Dominic Solanke and company will be able to get in behind the Liverpool defence will be interesting to see. And hopefully this, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, this could be a chance for uh, Van Dijk and company to rediscover some form which deserted them at points um, during last season. Um, there's definitely not going to be a repeat of the 9-0 thrashing that took place under Scott Parker, not Gary O'Neill. And um, I see Liverpool huffing and puffing, but eventually getting a win that will sort of keep them afloat. And when I say keep them afloat, I mean keep them in the race, of course, I mean, it's not really a race yet because it hasn't even started practically, but it'll keep them in contention, at least um, in theory, for, you know, the uh, top honours of being in the top four and maybe trying to go a little bit further than that. I seriously don't see them challenging for the league, although I do have them finishing as high as um, third or second, I remember, from the tier list. I mean, my memory fails me. But it should be a tough 2-1 win for Liverpool, and I think it'll be another um, credible performance from Bournemouth and this is going to be another reminder Craig that um, Andoni will have some tougher tests than West Ham West Ham are a decent team but they're not Liverpool, let's get that straight No, definitely definitely. Well, I think that wraps up cherry picking for this week so Matt, Manny thank you again for coming on cherry picking and It's a pleasure Yep, we shall see you in the next show. Up the cherries. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.